We have fun at Venture Church. We really do. So I want to introduce you to uh, a person that means a lot to uh, my wife and I. Uh, we're super close with uh, her and her husband. And if you know Bethany Birch at all, you know that she is a person that deeply cares for God's people. If you are particularly, if you're a lady in this church, the chances are you either know Bethany or she wants to get to know you. She probably wants to take you out for coffee. She is just one of those people that gives and gives and gives. And she has an authentic heart for Jesus. And uh, I can't say enough about her, so I won't just, I could go on and on. Um, we really, really love Bethany, and so would you give her a warm welcome? She brings the word today. Just give Bethany a big hand. Hi, guys. Pastor Scott's wrong. I don't want to take you out for coffee. I want to take you out for bubble tea. It's my new thing. So if you want to do that, just fill out your connection card so I have your contact information, and yeah, I actually will take you out. Um, but hey, did anybody else get a lot out of Pastor Scott's message last Sunday about being grateful in the daily grind? Yeah, I did too. It was really good. If you didn't hear it, you should listen to his podcast. Um, I love the hypothetical questions that he had, like, what if work is the reward? You know, what if our prize is in the process? And then he said that there are three things that stand between us and getting that reward, like wanting to be comfortable, being distracted by shiny things, and just wanting to give up. Um, actually, I think I'm just going to repeat his whole message instead of my message today. <laughs> but anyways, no. Um, it occurred to me that his talk could easily be applied to reading the Bible. You know, like, we want to read the Bible because, like, the Bi reading the Bible itself is the re reward, but we get distracted, we want to give up, like... Honestly, I have yet to meet anybody who said, oh yeah, I totally understand the Bible and I read it just as much as I should. <laughs> when I first started following Jesus, I also started attending Bible studies. Pretty often in those groups, reading the Bible was brought up as this difficult chore that everybody has trouble doing. You know, just like the dishes or folding laundry. And when we talked about the Bible in a group, we had to like compose our faces like this. And it didn't matter whether we were talking about like bowel problems or dismemberment, which there is a lot of that in the Psalms. Um, we just had to say, mm, amen, scripture. Right? Like going to Bible study felt like going to a funeral. Like it was very improper to giggle. You guys would have been in trouble. Um, but there's a Spanish nun who lived in the 1500s. And she once said, from silly devotions and sour-faced saints, Good Lord, deliver us. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this today because I've been told I have a contagious love for the Bible. So I'm going to try and be contagious today. And since it's flu season, I think you're likely to catch it. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm not saying that we should disrespect the Word of God. And some days it is hard to read the Bible. But our biggest purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If we aren't actually enjoying him, then there's something wrong with our relationship with him. You can have a lot of motives for reading the Bible, but our main motive should be to grow in relationship with him. The words alone don't have a lot of power if the Holy Spirit isn't there too. When you read the word, it can align your heart and your mind to, get a, um, to focus on God. You know, it's just a lot easier to pray if we read scripture first. You know, it helps us get a better idea of who he is and what he sounds like. 
and being able to talk to him, that's a pretty good tool for building a relationship. If you just skim through the Old Testament, you're going to find a lot of verses that say things like, Lord, I love your law. I delight in your law. Your word burns in my heart like a fire. I think about your word all the time. People who wrote the Bible loved the Bible. And they had like half as much Bible as we do. So I'm going back to the Old Testament today to talk about their love for the Bible because I think that their connection with Scripture was just beautiful, and we can have that same connection. So we're going to focus around Nehemiah 8. Uh, we're going to read a lot of it, like verses 1 through 12. Um, so a little bit of background on what's going on here. Um, the Jews had been held captive in Babylon for years. They were finally allowed to return to their home country, and they started rebuilding the walls around their city, and they were reclaiming their land, reclaiming their identities, and that's when this happened. So before we get into the scripture itself, let's just pause and pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for your presence that's here among us, and help it, just let your spirit be speaking to each person individually. Um, give them a special revelation of what you want your word to reveal to them. We love you, Lord, in your name, amen. So let's get started. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men, women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. That's how you read names. You just go for it. You're just confident. Okay. So Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, they would have been the priests, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Guys, if you're part of a Bible study that does not include food and drink, you're doing it wrong. 
Okay, so this was clearly a very special day, and if we were to read the Bible like this every day, it might be exhausting. But the people in this passage wept, and they were filled with joy when they understood the word of God. What do you think that they could have discovered in, you know, probably the first five books of the Bible that would make them weep for joy? Did you ever have to read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think it's included in a lot of literature courses. I don't know why you would read it for fun. Um, It's considered to be the oldest piece of literature in the world. They think it was written about 1,400 to 2,000 years before Christ. Uh, When you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, you're also taught what people in that time would have believed, like, you know, what would have been shocking to them, what sort of things would have been normal to them, what sayings they had and what those sayings meant, Um, even a little bit of the geography so you could understand the significance of the places. You know, you would try to understand what the author was trying to get across. But when I read the Bible, which is also ancient, I often expect to be able to understand it, what it's saying what, without understanding the context it was written in. There's a lot that you can understand without getting the context, but the context can make it so much richer. Reading the Bible can start to feel like treasure hunting. Biblical authors seem to think that we should have a lot of time for meditation because they wrote the text so carefully and in such a way that you don't get to the meat of it until you really think about it. They seem to know that when you find the truth out for yourself, rather than just being told what it is, it can be mega revolutionary for your brain. The books of the Bible, they're not written like diaries, where it's like, I had oatmeal for breakfast, and then I went and conquered the Ninevites. No, they were written afterward in a very careful manner. Everything about it is intentional. The pacing is intentional. The word choice is intentional. The arrangements are intentional. Even what looks like mistakes can often be intentional. Uh, An example of that would be from the book of Jonah. If you are in my growth group, Brunch of Prophets, you are like, oh yeah, I remember Jonah. So you you all know the story. God tells Jonah to go to the Assyrians in the capital city, Nineveh, and tell them to repent, and God will forgive them and not punish them. Jonah didn't want to do it because the Assyrians were really brutal to everyone, especially Jonah's people, the Israelites. But Jonah finally goes. He gives the message. The Assyrians repent, and God does not destroy them. So Jonah says to God, This is why I tried to run away, why he didn't want to give the message to the Ninevites. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So when Jonah says this, it sounds like he's quoting Exodus 34, 6. But look, Jonah left out a word. Let's look at the next slide and compare them. He made a mistake. He forgot, and he quoted it wrong. Huh. Or you know what? Maybe he said exactly what he wanted to say, because which word is missing? Faithfulness. Jonah was saying that God wasn't faithful to his people. Jonah wanted God to be faithful to his promise to punish the wicked. So, then the question becomes, why didn't God punish the wicked? Aha, there's another hidden message. 
This message is hidden in the arrangement. So there's a lot of passages in the Bible that use an ancient form of poetry called a chiasm. Um, you'll find it on Wikipedia as chiastic structure. You can find chiasms by noticing when a series of ideas are presented and then presented again in the reverse order. Usually when an author uses a chiasm, they want you to pay attention to a unique idea in the center of the chiasm. So in Jonah, here's the ideas. Um, he's told to go to the great city, but he'd rather die. He spends three days repenting of that um, in the belly of a fish. He gets spit out, goes to the great city. The great city spends three days repenting. Jonah hates that, so he wants to die. And God says to him, should I not have pity for this great city? The emphasis in the center is the great city. God cared about the people of the great city, and he didn't want to blow them off the face of the earth. He wanted to save those people too. And I know if you've read Jonah, it actually says that in the last verse as well, but the author of this book thought the message of God's compassion was so important that he doubled down on it. You know, isn't it beautiful that this message of God's compassion is so important for us to grasp that someone took the time to hide this treasure within the arrangement of the poetry of the book. It is the glory of God to hide a matter. It is the glory of kings to seek it out. By now, you might have guessed I'm a bit of a nerd. For fun, I like to take college courses online and learn new stuff. That's my thing. So last spring, I took a course on the Book of Kells from Trinity College, Dublin. You might not have heard of the book, but you've probably seen art inspired by it. So here it is. Um, it's written in Latin, so I don't expect you to be able to read it. But um, it uses a lot of what we now know as like the Celtic knots. So it was created about 1,200 years ago by monks in Ireland. And basically, it's just a very pretty copy of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was no printing press at the time, so every Bible that was written was written by hand. These artist monks who wrote the Book of Kells believed in Jesus Christ as the living word of God. So they tried to make the living word, this book, as beautiful as possible. They hoped by making it so beautiful and complex that it, it would invite you into the text to look into the central mystery of the Christian faith. So here's one of the most famous pages from the Book of Kells called the Cairo page. It's just uh, Matthew 1.18, this is how Christ was born. You can see the first two letters of Christ's name um, here. So Chi looks like an X, just like Chi Alpha. And yeah, uh, Rho is a little circly thingy. CR, I guess you could put it. Um, the rest of this page is imagery that symbolizes Christ and even tells the gospel, uh, like these diamond shapes. On the next slide, they would have recognized those as um, symbols of Christ. We definitely don't have time to go through all the symbols, like I did a whole course on this, but if you have super amazing eyesight, maybe you can see uh, little chalices, little cups that represent communion. There's one cup on the left side that's turned upside down 
and out of it is sprouting vines tangled with peacocks. So the cup represents communion, the vines represent new life, the peacocks resemble purity. So what it means is Christ's blood was poured out and out of it came new, pure life. Isn't that crazy? And there's, there's a lot more you could go through and find in there. But what did the monks see in the Bible that made them want to spend their entire lives making the most beautiful and intricate copies of it? I used to believe that to read the Bible, I had to get into a quiet place, set aside all distractions, and spend some quality time very carefully reading some scripture and praying. There was a time in my life when that was possible, but now I have a two-year-old and a Clark, that's my husband, <laughs> and the only time I'm alone is never. But because of that, I'm learning that God doesn't just want alone time with me. You know, he wants to be woven throughout my whole life. He doesn't just want to date me by spending like these quiet little interludes together talking. He wants to marry me. And that means being in the mess, in the noisiness. So the times that I get to read the Bible are when my toddler is eating breakfast and he's trying to dump it on the dog. Or when the TV's on and all of them are whining at me. You know, if I waited for the perfect time to start reading the Bible, I would never read the Bible, and I would miss out on all the treasures. And you know what? We aren't required to read the Bible alone. Looking back at Nehemiah, when they did it, they were all together in one place. They were reading it together. There's a lot of value to just reading the Bible where others can see you. When people see you reading the Bible, like, what are you saying about it? You're saying, I value this. This matters to me. And it could make them curious. I mean, you should actually be using, like, a physical Bible if you want to have this effect and not scrolling through your phone because people could think that you're just looking at cute cats. Um, you know, if you're at home, like, let your kids see you're not looking at Facebook. You're, you actually have the Word open. Totally okay if you have a phone open right now. I know you're just looking at the Bible. I know. But, you know, if you're, like, studying at the commons or you're on lunch break at work, like, think about just having an open Bible. You'll be surprised at what kind of conversations can happen. That small act can honestly bring people to Christ. And I know this for a fact because I've done it on accident. So when I started reading the Bible, I was a teenager, uh, still at home, and I'm from a very big family. I have six brothers and three sisters. And we always lived in two-bedroom houses. We had a lot of bunk beds. So my little sister, Emmy, would see me reading the Bible, and it made her curious. She never even talked to me about it, but she saw me, and she wanted to know what I saw in that Bible. That's what started her down the path of seeking Jesus. I was shocked a couple of years ago when I heard her testimony and found out I was part of it. Another bonus to reading the Bible with others around is you can share what sort of treasures you're finding in the Word. Enjoyment is not complete until it's shared. You know what I mean by that? Like, if you're standing in front of a waterfall all alone, it's not quite as fun as standing in front of a waterfall with your best friend and you're both pointing at it going, oh! You know, 
And also, you can share your questions if somebody's there with you. To the people in the Nehemiah passage, having someone teach them what the word of God meant changed everything. If you come across a contradiction, you have a question, you see a problem in the Bible, you have to stop and investigate it. You have to ask questions. If you just push it aside and try not to think about it, that thought's gonna fester in the back of your mind that the Bible's not trustworthy, therefore God is not trustworthy. So don't let it fester. Get the question out there. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, any Christian might be a teacher. That's a key ingredient that can make Bible studies, our growth groups, so powerful. Um, my growth group this year has been the best I've ever been a part of, and I'm not just saying that because I'm leading it, or that because we eat bacon. Um, like, legit. Every person comes in there with a unique experience, unique gifts, unique insights. Um, have you ever noticed that just hearing somebody else read a bit of scripture out loud can make you think differently about it? Like, let's read it together. It is good to also seek out more instruction on the Bible. And hopefully you're catching some instruction on Sundays. You know, Pastor Scott is my favorite Bible teacher. And like, that man's like an iceberg. Like, you get the tip of it here on Sundays, and there's a whole lot underneath. So if you have specific questions, you might ask him. In fact, I would encourage every single one of you to email right, him right now so that he has like 200 emails in his inbox. He would love that. <laughs> but, you know, there's also a plethora of resources available to us. Like, there's free Bible commentaries online. Um, I really like the Matthew Henry's commentary. There's also some really amazing podcasts, like my husband's. Um, I've actually quoted a lot from the Bema podcast today. There's also a ton of great books about the Bible. With the books, I'd recommend reading the older stuff that has stood the test of time. Earlier, I quoted Teresa de Avila. She was the Spanish nun. Her books are still in print, and she wrote them 500 years ago. You know, there's some Christian books that are popular right now that I don't think anybody's gonna re be reading them in 10 years because they tell you more about current society than about the unchanging, everlasting word of God. Guys, just read it. <laughs> you know, read the Bible quickly and get the flavor of it. Read the Bible slowly, find some treasures. Read the Bible repeatedly and you're gonna start seeing connections. I wanna share with you some reference in the Bible for things that blew my mind. Um, you can write these down if you want to look them up later. But one would be the message hidden in Genesis 5. So look at the genealogy in there and look up the meaning of each name that is listed in that genealogy of Genesis 5, then read the meanings in order. Another would be from when Jesus is reading from Isaiah and he stops abruptly while reading the scroll and sits down. Go back and read the rest of that section from Isaiah and ask yourself, why did Jesus only read this part? And then more generally, read through Exodus and Leviticus and think about how truly compassionate all those laws would have been for them. They were living in a world that would have felt like a post-apocalyptic wasteland to us. If you think you're not good enough for God, read Hosea about 
Hosea's love for a prostitute who continually ran away. Read or listen to each gospel in one sitting because then you can recognize what flavor and overall idea each gospel writer was trying to get across. Read Paul's letter to the churches and imagine that you're reading it as someone who has been beaten and robbed and spit on for being a Christian. Read Revelation and get a picture of what heaven is really like and what it will be like to be in the presence of God forever. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who's going to ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we can obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. The word of God, it's full of treasure and it's very near you. Stop worrying about creating the perfect time and perfect place and perfect self to get in the word. This week, maybe just try leaving the Bible open on the kitchen table and glance at it as you walk by or while you're cooking dinner. Try playing an audio Bible on your way to work. Do some extra research on the scripture that your uh, Bible study is going over and find something special to share with them. You know, for thousands of years, kings and farmers, scientists and artists, maids and musicians have been obsessed with the Bible. What is it about the Bible? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that it is in our hearts, that it is in our minds, that you made it understandable, that you hid things in there for us to find, that you did the same thing in nature. You hid things for us to find so that we would know more about you. Lord, we're just brushing the service. Thank you for being so deep. Help us to know you better. Help us to want to know you better. Jesus, as we go through this week, just remind us that you are present. You are with us in the middle of the noise and the chaos. That the quiet times are not the only times that are yours. All times are yours. Lord, fill us with you. We love you. In your name, amen. Thank you so much, Bethany. Isn't she the type of person that you would want downstairs teaching your kids the Bible? Well, guess what? <laughs> she leads the kids' ministry, and so your kids are in really great hands. And I am so, so incredibly thankful for you. I am incredibly thankful for you. And the word that you brought here this morning is so good because what you're curious about, it drives what interests you. For example, like, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I'm into various TV shows, and like a while ago, I was into Lost, you know, back when it was a big deal. And it's always amazing to me, like people will gather together, whether it's like Breaking Bad or Big Brother or Lost or something like that. Like that. And there's this TV culture, fan culture, and people get together and they're like reading all the theories and getting into the characters and developing fan fiction and just becomes this big online experience where you can just go deep, right? And because people are really interested in their shows. And it's kind of like hit me 
wait a second, the deeper I get into the Bible, the more that I just actually take some time and just kind of open it up and parse it. And yeah, I'm a pastor, but guess what? You can do the same thing. The more that I actually really like it and enjoy it and I get more out of it. And so, so study God's word, honestly, like make it a regular part of your life. And you don't have to conform to a specific plan. You don't have to do it the way we do it, but just do it. I love Bethany's advice. Just do it. Like, just open your Bible. That's it. It's really super simple and it'll make such a difference in life of your family and your kids. It just helps. It really does. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for um, this opportunity as we gather together.